Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about hockey and we're going to talk about hockey cards and we're going to talk about the upcoming National Sports Collectors Convention. Tim, what's up, my man? What is going on? Oh, you know, just trying to hold back my tears over the Duncan Keith trade that we're no doubt going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to have to set a time limit on that because uh, I got a lot to say about that. But other than that, I'm doing well. Summer's going great for me. Uh, I've been working a lot as a teacher, pandemic teacher, working from home, recording lectures, holding classes via Zoom, never having to leave my front door. It has its it has its moments. I mean, I've been working from home since before anybody even heard of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. We we kind of, the company I work for, we went to a kind of a hybrid system and then mm-hmm. just kind of transitioned into it. So by the time all this hit, we were already ready to go. So I've been working from home for almost two years now. Yeah, I like it and I hate it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, so. So, um, the Stanley Cup Finals wrapped up last week, mercifully, within five games. I mean, I picked Tampa in six. I think everybody picked Tampa in either four, five, or six. Maybe I was a little crazy for saying six games. But I didn't think the Montreal that uh, the Montreal Canadiens were going to fold like they did. I had them in five. But, you know, that was just me. I didn't think Montreal could hang. I I kind of thought that they would split their home game. I, I thought they'd split the first two games and the next two games. I thought that they'd steal a, a home game, or excuse me, steal a road game, and then that they would uh, win one at home. But I, I, you know, but then again, I'm not basing that on anything scientific. I'm not basing that on any analytics. That was just my gut instinct, was that it felt like most of the past series from however many well, actually, no, uh, Capitals won in five back in 2018 over the Golden Knights. So that was kind of a one-sided affair, um, as was this. Um, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised just considering how awesome Tampa Bay is. I mean, look, last year they pretty much won the Cup without Steven Stamkos. Yes, he did play in the finals. Yes, he did score a goal. He played like two shifts, scored one goal. It was an awesome goal. But in all effect, they pretty much won the Cup without Stamkos. This year, they had Stamkos. So it's like they weren't holding back anything. Not only did they have Stamkos, but they upgraded upgraded their defense with uh, acquiring David Savard. So they were even better. And and Vasilevsky, you know, is still just really just entering the prime of his career. I mean, he's still a young man. He's like in his mid-20s. So he's on the way up, and he's awesome now. So, I mean, all the people who were like, oh, Tampa Bay is $18 million over the cap, and it's not fair. Well, you know what? If they weren't $18 million over the cap, they'd probably still be a damn good team and probably would have won the cup anyway. Yeah, and that whole argument, I'm I'm getting kind of tired of it. I mean, yeah, I understand you love your own team, you, you all of that kind of thing, and you 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 can have that friendly fan hatred of of the other teams. But it, look, this the CBA allows for what went on. They allow for that. Um, they take into consideration, you know, injuries and LTIR. 
situations and all of that. And during the year, they don't count or during during the year, they count during the off season or the the well, postseason. They don't. Right. So and that's part of the collective bargaining agreement that the players and the teams agreed to. So, you know, by saying that they're circumventing the cap and all this kind of stuff. Well, you're not telling the whole truth by making those arguments. So I get kind of tired of hearing that as an argument. Tampa Bay is a juggernaut of a team. They're good all around. I mean, yeah, their power play was problematic for them, but it didn't matter. Um, And, you know, in a case like this where they were playing a team that was, I would say, severely outgunned. And I know I'm going to catch flack from that from Montreal fans, but they just were. I mean, that, that's that's all there was to it. And, you know, when you're playing a stifling defense and you can't get your key players up the ice and in position, in scoring position during, you know, a possession regularly and you're basically just wiped out by the time you get to center ice, you're not going to get many shots on goal and you're not going to get many quality ones when you do. And, you know, Vasilevsky, he's, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. And should he have won the Vezina? Maybe. If you ask Kucherov, he should have. <laughs> That's number one bullshit made, that he didn't. Yep, yes, he's made that abundantly clear. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> if they can keep this team together, I, they might as well chalk them up there as a as a top favorite to win it again next year. I don't know that they will. I mean, they're already in cap cap trouble now. So, you know, they're going to have to dump some guys. You got the expansion draft coming up. So guys are going to get picked um, to move to Seattle. And you never know. They could uh, come up with a deal with Ron Francis to take some salary off their hands. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So. Right. Well, the thing about championship teams is that people win the championship. They're happy that they win the championship. But then if they haven't already done so, they're looking to get paid. They're looking to cash out. They're saying, you know what? I want a cup. Now I want to get paid. Now I want to be a $5 million a year kind of player. And the championship team can't afford that with certain players. You know, you're going to have you're they're always going to find a way to keep Stamkos and Kucherov. But when uh, you know you have like other guys that they can't keep, they're going to move on to other teams for for more money. And I mean, look, you've seen that happen with Pittsburgh, right? With the with the Penguins, why didn't the Penguins win three in a row? They could have. I mean, they still had Crosby, Malkin, Latang. Uh, they, I don't think it was because of uh, losing Mark Andre Fleury. But um, I'm not trying to cross examine well, you on why the Penguins didn't win three in a row. But what I'm no, saying is that. I, I mean, they there's two in a row, and it's like, wow. no, I got you. I got you. I got what you're saying. Right. I mean, it's hard enough to win one, let alone two in a row, especially in a salary cap era where you're hampered by that. Right. And every year, you guys, you have guys coming up in free agency, um, whether they're restricted or not, right. and they have, you know, numerous demands to stay on the team. And not that they're being team players. Sure, you have your guys that take you know, the quote unquote hometown discounts sometimes to stay on their teams and get long-term deals. But in this day and age, long-term deals are few and far between because we know how 
players turn. I mean, it happens every time. A guy will come out, he'll have a huge year, big time, and it's a contract year. And then at the end of the season, everybody's cr- you know scrambling. We can use this guy. We can use this guy. Let's sign him. Let's overpay for him. And then within the next year or so, they've disappeared, and they're still making you know six, seven million dollars on mm-hmm. this contract that they probably should be a two or a three at this point, but they're not. So, you know, that's just, it's just how it, how it works out. And, you know, to your point about Pittsburgh not winning again, I mean, it's, it comes down to chemistry more than anything else. You blow up a team like that and you start picking off guys that you think, oh, well, they weren't that impactful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they kind of were. I mean, perfect example. They let Hornquist go this year. He goes to Florida and they had no one to play that role as that pest in front of the net. Nobody. And that showed because they weren't getting those chipped in goals like they used to. They weren't getting that, you know, grittiness down front that, you know, those screens uh, in front of the goalie and, you know, that chippiness down there. I'm not saying Hornquist is a goon. He's not, but he's a pest. And those are, I mean, those are quality players to have, um, especially when it comes to special team type play. And if you don't have them, well, it makes it that much more difficult. So anyways, yeah, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning on back-to-back cups. Should be interesting to see if they can go for a three-peat. Good chance that it could happen. Good chance that it can't happen. I hate you to said, that, huh? You said, you said three-peat, so you now, you now owe Michael Jordan $1 million. Yeah, although he, <laughs> didn't, co- he didn't coin the term three-peat. I didn't. I thought Phil Jackson said it. Uh, no, because the, I think the original three Pete was the Lakers in the eighties. So I don't know that anybody capitalized on the marketing of it back then, though. Um. Oh, well. Works. Speaking of, well, actually, since we're on the topic of three Pete, I will point this out really quick because it does have to do with the number three. Patrick Maroon winning three cups in three years, so he had a personal three Pete. Because he won one cup with the Blues, and then the next two years he was with the Lightning. I mean, talk about great uh, right place, right time. I mean, he's good enough to be in the NHL and good enough to be on championship teams. And obviously the Lightning kept him around from one season to the next, and they wanted him, you know, in 2020. So, I mean, awesome for him. Uh, Pat Maroon. I have like a love-hate relationship with him. I like him as a guy. I mean, the guy's nickname is the Big Rig. How can you not like that? Right. But Pat Maroon was like one of those guys, like your Mark Parrish, where you would always pull him out of a pack of cards and you're like, why is this my hit? Mm-hmm. It's, Pat, it's Pat Maroon. And so it became the what a Maroon thing um, from, uh, you know, cartoons and stuff from the from old Looney days. Tunes. But yeah. Or they would say it on Roger Rabbit all the time. Like, what a Maroon. But yeah, I mean that became the, the the running joke. But I mean he's one of those guys. He's a he's a role player type guy that you know has that that size and grit and everything else that teams look for, especially in playoff time. So um, got to have them on your team. Love them or hate them, you got to have those kind of players. Well, speaking of uh, got to have those kinds of players on uh, your team. Let's talk about the Duncan Keith trade, 
because Duncan yes, Keith Les, was while it's fret hot off the press, hot off the press as we're recording. Right. So so uh, on uh, Monday, Duncan Keith was traded to the Edmonton Oilers for Caleb Jones and a third round pick. Oh, let me actually clarify this as per Pierre LeBron on Twitter. The full trade is Duncan Keith and Tim Soderlund, a minor league center in the Blackhawks system. For ECHL, defensemen, right? Huh? He's in the ECHL, right? He split time between the ECHL and the AHL. Okay. I uh, played with Rockford. He played with the Indy Fuel in the ECHL, Rockford Icehawks of the AHL. So okay. uh, Duncan Keith and Tim Soderlund uh, at four, defenseman Caleb Jones, uh, brother of Seth Jones, and a 2022 third round pick so that third pick becomes a second a second round pick if Edmonton wins three rounds in in the playoffs next year and Keith is amongst the top four Oilers in D time uh during the first three rounds of the playoffs so basically the Sorry, Oilers, I'm, I'm trying to contain my laughter on that one but yeah I mean it's a bit look it's going to be a third <laughs> round because a I don't think the Oilers unless they do some other stuff um, get to the th- get to the finals because they have to get they have to win three rounds. So you win three rounds, you're in the fourth round, you're in the finals. And Keith has to be one of the top four defensemen. I don't see Keith being one of the top four defensemen. But then again, when I scanned their uh, list of defensemen today, I was just like, you know, Edmonton does not have the so- most solid uh, decor. I mean, look, they got they haven't guys- for years. They could. They got guys who could put the puck in the net. The problem is they can't keep the puck out of the net. You know they have the arguably the best player in the league right now. If if you don't think he's the best, I mean he's. He, I don't. Who who would you? I mean, I, it's hard I, to it, it's hard to argue that McDavid's not the best player in the NHL. Well, no, it's hard, they, I mean it's hard to argue that you can throw out your Ovechkins and your Crosbys and all of those kind of things. That's fine. You can make that argument, but. McDavid's the best player in the league, as as we're talking right now. Yes. So, I mean, you look at what Cros- – I mean, Cros- Crosby's almost like the Gretzky figure now in the league. Like, Crosby and Ovechkin are kind of like the Gretzky-Lemieux-type figures the old in the guard. league. Huh? The old guard. Yeah, the old guard, yes. But, but still awesome, still deadly, still, you know, not somebody you can underestimate by any stretch of the imagination – uh, and so, I mean, but yeah, there are younger, you know, you think of like the NHL now and you think of like Connor McDavid and you think of like Austin Matthews and you think of like uh, Gabriel Landeskog and then even like younger, like Kale McCarr and Kirill Kaprizov, right? Like, you know, there's always going to be a, a young crew of players, but the Oilers have scoring. They don't have defense. Right. I, I mean, don't look at, look at their D look at their D pairings. I mean, they've got Darnell Nurse. Solid defense. decent. They've got He's Adam solid. Larson, solid defense. Solid. But beyond Ethan that, Bear. I mean, I mean Ethan Bear, but he's young. Right. And same with Evan Bouchard. I mean, kid's 21 years old. Right. And he's got size, but you know, he's still, you know, raw when it comes to that kind of thing. So you get rid of Caleb Jones, so that's more I mean, he's not that young, but you know, he hasn't panned out the way they wanted him to. So you send him over. Beyond that, what, I mean, what are we looking at? We're looking at a bunch of, on any other team, would probably be fourth-line D pairings, maybe special team guys that might get two, three minutes a night. Um, so It's tough. 
And now you bring in, and, and I know this isn't going to be the popular opinion amongst the person listening on the other end of this, but let's face it. Keith is not 27-year-old Duncan Keith that wins Stanley Cups, right? This isn't, you know, the Duncan Keith that's going to chip in a bunch of extra goals and be that guy that, you know, shuts down the top, you know, the the top offensive uh, line of the teams you're playing night in and night out. This isn't that same Duncan Keith. Um, analytics guys, like if you're into the whole advanced analytics and all that kind, they hate Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. They don't like him at all. Uh, and they don't even, they don't like his def- his defensive numbers either. So from an offensive side and a defensive side, it just depends on what, you know, what you believe. So a lot of this goes into it's Duncan Keith, right? I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And he's, you know, it's, a, I don't know. I feel like, is this a nostalgia pick? Because really, he wasn't going to go anywhere. He has no trade clause. But he agreed to waive it because his only choice of places to go supposedly was Edmonton. Family, family, friends, all of that. That's that's the reason. I don't know what else it could be. Right. Well, that's why he's interested in playing there. Now, I want to say what I think Keith can bring to the Oilers. And Good. I, think I want that to hear is, it. Well, and this is going to sound cliched when when they say this, but now it, it kind of makes sense. Uh that championship experience that the team does not have. And I think about during the Blackhawks, uh, their first of three in their uh, their run in the 2010s, uh, their 2009-2010 season. And the Blackhawks brought in John Madden, who played for the Devils, and he was, uh, you know, he won the Cup of the Devils. And he was at the end of his career. And I was, like, incensed. Like, okay, you're going to bring in an old center to like play fourth line minutes and you bring in John Madden, why not just bring in Jeremy Roenick? I mean, if you're going to bring in an old center, bring in back an old center that we like or somebody who's exciting or interesting. Uh, But the reason why they brought John Madden to the team was because he had that Stanley Cup experience. He, he, He had been on deep playoff runs with the Devils and he won the Stanley Cup with the Devils. So that makes sense. And I could see Keith providing that sort of leadership to the Oilers because he's been there. If they're thinking about bringing in somebody, a veteran presence like him, overpaying for that because he's, you know, he's in his late 30s and the cap hit is $5.5 million a year, they're paying a lot for that experience. So they must really see value in that experience. I mean, they're overpaying for that experience, I think, because you can find any guy who's in his 30s who's played on a Stanley Cup team and say hey want to play with us for a season and or two because you you know you want a cup and you could teach our guys how to win and and prepare for that sort of thing um but you know and at the same time like you said the Oilers have a lot of young and untested defensemen and Keith could mentor them I never understood though why the team that he was, you know, why the team that a player is on, in this case, the Blackhawks, why they wouldn't say like, oh, Keith could mentor these guys, right? It's it's always like, 
when you grow up with the team and then you're like in your 30s and then the team wants nothing to do with you. So they'll trade them away and then they'll turn around and sign another old defenseman and be like, well, I believe he brings leadership to the team and he's experienced and the guys will listen to him. And it's like, yeah, you had that guy. You know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, just like we were talking about a minute ago with with Maroon, you know, you need that experience. You need that on your team. Where I find the questionable part of this is, is, yeah, you need that. But don't you think you need that more when you're that team that's just missing that one thing to push you over the edge? Like, you just have that one thing that, you know, you, you, got, you got so far, but you just, you can't get there. And that one thing comes in, and it, it could be that extra leadership and that playoff experience that pushes you over. I think Edmonton's still far from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're look. Let's let's not mix mince words here, right? They're in the Pacific Division, and next year, the way the alignment is with Seattle coming into the league. Okay, so now you have an expansion team in your league. You also have another expansion team that came in a couple years ago with Vegas. But Vegas is a juggernaut, and they're a playoff perennial team, and they have been since they came into the league. You have to get yourself in a position where you can outplay Vegas and then hope that you don't have to face down the road somebody like Oh, I don't know, a Colorado maybe, because when it comes to the West, those are your two big, your your two biggest powerhouses right there is Vegas and Colorado, and you know, you had a team in the Pacific Division that was, for lack of a better word, a pushover with Arizona. Well, Arizona's now in the Central for next year's alignment. So with Seattle coming in, so yeah, San Jose has not been the San Jose of old lately. Um, in fact, in fact, none of the California teams really have, but I see the Kings coming back. I see Calgary making a play, maybe not Vancouver yet, but you still have Vegas. So you throw those teams in, where does Edmonton fit? Are they a top four team in that division? Maybe with Duncan Keith, are they off top four? I don't know. My my answer is still maybe, I think. So it'll be interesting to see what else happens in the offseason. It'll be interested to see what Seattle takes away from all of these teams and changes some of the team chemistry and, uh, you know, how everybody does on draft day. So, um, yeah. Well, so. speaking of team chemistry, so now what did the Blackhawks get? They free up $5.5 million in cap space. Uh, a couple weeks ago when... Seth Jones, the defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets, said that he was going to test free agency. He's got one year left on his contract, and he was going to test free agency. Basically, he's telling uh, Columbus, I'm not resigning with you, and kind of signaling, you know, hey, you can trade I mean, me. It was, it was more than that. It was like, I want out of here, and I'm not resigning. It was one of those kind of things. A lot of Blackhawk fans that I talked to were like, hey, do you think do you think the Blackhawks are going to try to get Seth Jones? Do you think they're going to try to get Seth Jones? Because they don't really have a dominant defenseman. I mean, Connor Murphy has been our number one defenseman, even though Keith is number one in our hearts. Connor Murphy has been number one on the depth chart the last season. 
somebody like Seth Jones would definitely be a huge improvement to the Chicago Blackhawks defense. Now, what's interesting is two things about this trade. One is that Keith was a 5.5 million cap hit and Jones is a 5.5 million cap hit. So they basically freed up just as much money as they needed to sign Seth Jones or to, to pay Seth Jones should they acquire him in a trade. The other thing is the other, you know, the player that the Blackhawks acquired in that trade, Caleb Jones, which is Seth Jones's younger brother. So would he want to play with his brother? And I'm sure the answer is yes, because you look at a lot of brothers who played together in the NHL, even for a couple of seasons when they can do it, it's hard to do. It's it's hard to arrange just because of the way contracts work and timing work. And especially like, you know, if one brother is a career minor leaguer, it's very hard for him to get called up to any team, let alone the team that his brother's playing on. Right. Um, There's only or, so many Sedins in the league. Right, where they could come in at the same time and end up on the same team because of a lot of like deal making that the Canucks had to do to broker that. Or, you know, or if you just have enough of them, like the Sutter brothers or the Stahl brothers, sooner or later, at least two of them are going to yeah. end up on the same team, if not three of them, right? If there's 50 of you, you're going to cross paths at some point. It, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. So I think it'd be Can you exciting. imagine that? Caleb and Seth on the same defensive pairing? That'd be hmm. interesting. That would be... That would be cool. Jones, back to Jones, over to Jones, a shot by Jones. Yeah. I'd like to see it. I mean, I think that would be really exciting for the Blackhawks. Be a good storyline, that's for sure. It'd be a great storyline. I mean, when you have two brothers on the same team. So you want to talk about Tarasenko? Vladimir Tarasenko wanting out of St. Louis? I mean, we can. I mean, look, he's... He voiced his opinion that he doesn't want to be there anymore, and he feels, you know, that his time has come. I mean, he wants another payday. That's really what it is. But I don't think his heart's there anymore. Um, I don't know for sure, but he had three surgeries. So what's he really worth on the open market? I mean, somebody's going to be willing to pay for him, but he hasn't been the last couple of years the Tarasenko that, you know, everybody fell in love with before. And, you know, after, especially after this season where not only he had the injuries, but he had battles with the coaching staff and there were rumors that he might have been contributory to kind of a toxic locker room kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. You know, is somebody going to, yes, the answer, I'm answering my own question here. Is somebody going to throw money at him? Yes, they are. Uh, Where's it going to be? Definitely not St. Louis. So That'll be interesting because if he can get back up to where he was, that is scary. And that could be a huge pickup for a team that needs additional firepower and can afford him. That's the key. I keep hearing the Rangers thrown around in that front, and I can only imagine. Yeah, the Rangers, man, they've been overpaying for talent since like 2000, and it hasn't really gotten them anywhere. Well, you look at how the team is comprised right now. I mean, they've got lots of young talent on that team. I mean, heck, they've got the Norris Trophy winner now, you know, with Adam Fox. So, and, you know, the whole hype over Lafreniere and everything before, he's not a bad player and he's going to turn out to be a great player. He may not have, you know, lived up to his hobby hype, but he's a great young player. Not to mention the fact that you've got K 
Capo Caco on there. You've got uh, Panarin. So, I mean, it's it's not a team that's devoid of talent. That's for sure. It's a vantage ad. Yeah, you've got a. They've got to they've got to figure out what's going what's going on in the net. But other than that, a couple tweaks here and there, that's going to be a team to be reckoned with. And if Tarasenko was on that team too, geez, I can't imagine. Be pretty stacked. So we'll see where where he goes. We'll see what happens with that. But yeah, you're right. The injury's always a um, you know, a little bit of a warning flag. Like you know, what are we what are we getting? Yeah. I don't know. Again, we're in that, as they say on NHL Network Radio, we're in that silly season of you know just ridiculousness that goes on during the when there's no games being played on the ice so yes it'll, it'll be interesting how this pans out so um anything else you want to talk hockey related before we move on over to cards because i mean i know we got the expansion draft coming up Don't expansion drafts on the 21st so that'll be that'll be fun see mm. what uh what ronnie franchise can do for the new seattle kraken I'm more interested about this, yeah, to see what happens. I, I get so tired of the speculations. I mean, remember remember all those, like, mock fantasy drafts that, like, all the, like, news outlets were doing for, like, the Vegas Golden Knights and how wrong they got their picks, except maybe they probably picked Flurry because that one was a given. <laughs> well, the, the thing with Vegas, and, and this kind of goes – hand in hand with the complaints that everybody makes talking about how I, they hate Vegas and Vegas sucks and they were handed a team and handed a winner and you might as well hand them the cup too and all this kind of stuff. Look, Seattle has the same rules that Vegas has. Mm-hmm. The difference is they had to pay a ton of money more than Vegas had to pay to get the team, but they do get the same rules. Yes. Just like Vegas paid a ton of money to get their team above what the previous expansion team paid to get theirs. Yes. So different times, different money, all of that. But all of the wheeling and dealing that went on prior to the expansion draft when Vegas came in, where they were making all of these backroom deals saying, hey, if you give us your whatever pick, we won't take X player mm-hmm. because obviously you have to leave decent talent exposed. Yes. Right. So you have to make that incentive high enough to say, okay, I'll leave that player alone and I'll take somebody else, but you have to make it worth my while. And Vegas, they were masters of this and they fleeced so many teams of draft picks and prospects that it was absolutely ridiculous. But was it fleecing because those teams got to keep the players that they wanted to keep? They were going to have to lose something. They were going to have to lose something, but they kind what of... We, what do we play for? We play for the cup, right? Right. So when they came in during that draft year, from then until now, how many teams have won the cup? Well, I mean, they've only been around for like four seasons. So okay. you had the And two of those were Tampa Bay. Yep. One of them was the Capitals. Right. I mean. And the Blues, right. And you have St. Louis. So you have three teams that have benefited and built their teams powerful enough to win the Cup. Everybody else, not so much. So 
the fact that Vegas is, was able to turn an expansion draft into the structure of a team that's built to win right out of the box and pretty much has been that team that can compete at the highest level at the top of their division, at the top of their conference, and close to the top of the league year in and year out since they've existed, that's it's ridiculous. And you can call it what you want, but the way they worked the system was masterful. I will tell you right now that between now and draft day, France, Ron Francis is not going to get that same bend over and take it treatment because of what happened with vegas i guarantee it there may well, be some no. there may Hold be on. some there may be some but i don't think it's going to be to that extent at all because teams will say hey we know you could take this guy but if you take that guy instead of this guy we'll also throw in a pick teams are still going to do that because general managers are not just going to say Oh, I hope they don't take the best player who's available in, you know, on my unprotected list. They're going to try to sweeten the deal and say, look, we, we know you want to take this guy from us, but would you take that guy instead and we'll, we'll, we'll throw in a third round pick? Or they might say, hey, we know that you want this guy and that guy, but you can only take one from us. But I'll tell you what. We'll trade you. We'll you could pick this guy, and we'll trade you that guy if you pick some other guy from another team, and then trade him to us. And that's you know Vegas did that too. They 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 picked players, and they turned around, and then they retraded them. I mean that's that's just smart. I mean you know this would this could only work if all the GMs just basically said, okay, you know what, none of us are going to do any wheeling or dealing with Seattle. You know, we're all just going to expose our players and keep our mouth shut and no one's going to blink and no one's going to break ranks. That's not going to happen because everybody's trying to think, oh, what can I, you know, who are the best guys that I can protect? And, um, you know, and it's funny because you might, I mean, look at it this way. Uh, People were arguing with me on Twitter about, oh, well, you know, I mean, the Vegas got Marc-Andre Fleury and that's so, so unfair and it was unfair to Pittsburgh. And I'm like, you know what? If Pittsburgh wanted to keep Marc-Andre Fleury, do you think they could have figured out a way to keep both goaltenders? Do you think they could have pulled Vegas? Hey, we'll give you our first round pick in the next draft if you leave Fleury alone. It could have happened. They, they could have worked something out. So I, I'm so tired of hearing everybody acts like all the other teams are victimized. The other thing I need to add up, see, you brought this up and now I won't shut up about it. Is that like all the teams got like $15 million and they gave up a contract or two. They did good. They did good. They got a cut of that sweet, sweet expansion money. And all they had to do in exchange was give up a player or maybe a player and a pick or maybe two players, depending on however the draft went. Okay. They made a lot of money by Vegas coming into the league and they're going to make a lot of money by Seattle coming into the league. If you look at the guys on... Uh, Vegas or the guys that they picked in 2017 and you went to most NHL GMs and said hey would you take 15 million dollars in expansion money in exchange for Malcolm Subban what would they have said yes or Jonathan Marchessault they would have said yeah sure you know what I mean the fact that Vegas was able to figure out what players are going to click together 
that's a credit to them for their good planning, their good foresight, not that they just pillaged all the, the, the best players from the teams. Don't get me wrong. I think that's what my point is here, is that all of the wheeling and dealing that they did was all strategic in a way that they were trying to build for their future and give themselves something to build off of down the road with prospects in that I yeah there's going to be trades and stuff like that that go on for for protecting other players to keep them from being drafted sure there will be I don't think they're going to be as sweet as what Vegas was able to do is what I'm saying the negotiations that went on to where they were given higher draft picks and higher position prospects that were on people's lists that I don't I don't see that kind of thing happen. So where they were able to pull, you know, a second or a third rounder, maybe Seattle gets a fourth or, or something, you know, you know, an ECHL guy that, you know, hasn't cracked an NHL roster ever right. or something. Something of that nature. It's not I don't think it's going to be getting second round picks and and stuff like that to be able to use to move and get better talent. I don't I don't think it's going to be the same. I mean, I could be wrong. He could he could come up with some kind of craziness just like, you know, just just like the George McPhee did. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, we're going to see in a couple weeks cuz it's it's going to go down. So So we got the expansion draft coming up. We got the entry draft coming up and uh we'll talk more about those as we get closer to them. But let's talk cards. It's been a while since we've done a show, so I want to talk cards. Let's talk cards. So uh, we'll start out with our uh, special feature, Stick with Sal, where I give an update on the Tops Now hockey stickers and their production runs. So the last time we talked about this week, we were talking about week 21 had 369 packs that were printed. Week 22, 383. Week 23, 407. Week 24, 481, week 25, 435, and week 26 is available now. So there's been a little bit of uptick in the demand for the Tops Now hockey sticker packs as the playoffs go on, and then you start getting more of those upper echelon players um, getting, uh, you know, getting printed on uh, top stickers. Um, But yeah, I mean, still, our print run is like under 500, so it's kind of like a who cares, why bother kind of thing. But I still bring it up because it's hockey collectibles, and uh, I have a thing for stickers, even though it's kind of like very meh, the whole thing, the whole tops. It shouldn't be called tops now. It should be called tops meh. <laughs> Look, you already know my opinion on stickers. I think everybody that listens to us knows my opinion on stickers. Yep. I tolerate them because yep. they exist. Yep. I find most of the whole thing around stickers since many years just it's mm-hmm. kind of comical sometimes i get the knock to the tops now thing but what i really go back to is kind of like what they do with everything else like with baseball and they do you know their limited run prints uh for those because baseball is so much po- so much more popular like the tops living set you know they always throw out the print runs once once they sell mm-hmm. and you can see that some of the lower print runs obviously have command a, a higher demand it makes me wonder that on the Tops Now stickers, you know, if we're getting into the sub 500 and even less print runs, 
are these going to become desirable down the road when people realize that there's only 500 of them or there's only 300 of them or maybe you come out with some that are only 200. Well, to answer your question, keep in mind that uh, there are gold stickers that are one in every 10 packs. So on 500, that would mean there's only 50 of them. 435, that means there's only like 43 or 44 of like, say, a gold sticker that came out. So, you know, you're you're dealing with really low amounts of parallels. I mean, yeah, I understand that Upper Deck makes parallel hockey cards that are numbered to 99 or numbered to 25 or even numbered to one. But it, as far as something that's like, like this, I mean, you know, yeah, probably for player collectors. But then again, stickers are like so off of people's radars. Like, well, let me ask you this. Let's just say with your player collections, do you bother with the stickers of like Billy Garen from the 90s or Yaramir Yager or Mario Lemieux? Do you bother with those? Sure, if I find them. If you find them, but you don't seek them. I don't I don't actively seek them out. Like I don't have, I mean, they're on lists that I have, but I, I don't go... Oh, I got to get these stickers. I got to find them. I'm going to do everything in my power to try to find them. If I find them, I'll get them. Right. Um, do I have some? Yeah, sure. I have all sorts of ones from like the old Panini albums. Mm -hmm. You know, I even have the ones where it's like part of a multi, you know, multi sticker picture where mm -hmm. I have just the one that has a player that I collect on. Yes. You know, I have stuff like that or, you know, the old, um, you know, the old tops, tops or Opeachy stickers where you, you had the sticker on one side and you know, the sort of card back on the other, mm -hmm. where it's one guy on the back, you might have two other players on the front, mm -hmm. but there's three different variations of it. Right. So I mean, I have stuff like that, but again, I don't, I don't go around, you know, if I went to a show dealer, do you, do you have this specific sticker? Do you have this? No, I don't do that. If they're in a box and I, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, then I'll add it to the collection. So Yeah, so that's that's my point, is that I think most hockey collectors are kind of like that. Like, if they find it, or if it's cheap enough, or if it's easy enough, or if it's something that they really want, but they're not going to go out of their way to, like, you know, oh, I need this, this rare sticker of, you know... Um, that's the thing, though. If, you, if it was rare, though, I think that might boost the interest because i know for I, I i mean i could tell you i don't actively seek those older ones because there's they are they're out there i can find it if i want them i know where to go to find them mm -hmm. but i haven't actively pursued the tops now ones to try to you know get any of those over the last few years to see how prevalent they are in the market and to see how well they're selling from a standpoint of lower print runs that's all I'm getting at is if these print runs start to dip that low, is it going to create a bigger interest? But you're right. Hockey collectors generally aren't going to jump on board with the sticker train. If they were so. cards, yes, the, the interest would be there. But yeah. because they're stickers and also because it's hockey, I don't feel that the interest is going to, to translate like it would, say, a Topps Now baseball card. Oh, I, most certainly. It's definitely not going to translate like the demand for the baseball or or anything else, any of the other sports for that matter. Um, so it's just it's just crazy that they're down to 500 print on those. 
So coming up at the end of the month or towards the end of the month on Saturday, July 24th is National Hockey Card Day. This is taking Ooh. place. Yes. Woo, indeed. This is taking place in the U.S. and in Canada. It started in Canada in 2009, started in the U.S. in 2012. So both the U.S. sets and the Canadian sets will consist of 15 cards plus a 16th bonus card that could be acquired if you make a $10 purchase at the store. So cards 1 through 15, you get those in five-card packs that you get for free by visiting uh, a dealer, a card dealer, a card shop. Um, and then um, the sets vary. So USA is gonna have different cards than Canada. So a lot of times you see Canadian collectors building multiple sets and trading them to US collectors and US collectors building multiple sets and trading them to Canadian collectors, which is one nice thing. Um, and then um, there's also each, uh, both USA and Canada will have five victory black rookies. And those rookie cards vary depending on what side of the border you're on. And a little jealous because Canada gets uh, Kirill Kaprizov as one of their victory black rookies. And then uh, both uh, countries have their own five uh, card mascot insert set as well. So, uh, you know, there's 15 regular cards, one bonus card five victory black rookies and five mascots, and then the same for the other country. So quite a few cards to collect. Um, I noticed last year that the victory black rookies and the mascots were a lot easier to pull than they had been in years past. Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's actually kind of a nice thing because it makes it a little bit easier to collect. I think it's kind of hard when like, not only is it hard when you can't track down all the cards, but then at the same time, you're like, what am I doing? I'm spending $20 on a victory black rookie of, okay, it's of a rookie, but you know what I mean? I guess it's like you got to really want it, and some people do really want it. And again, maybe it's the set builders or the, um, not this, well, I'm a set builder, but even I have my limits, um, but maybe it's the player collectors. But anyways, I'm excited about National Hockey Card Day, and I'll definitely be visiting a few shops and trying to get some packs. I am both excited and worried about it. Why? I'll tell you why. Yes. The excitement comes because it's always fun to go to the different shops if you have them in your area. And we can uh, we can put a link to Upper Deck's list of the participating uh, sellers um, in the show notes for everybody. Um, but uh, if, you, if you're looking for a, a shop in your area and to see who's going to be carrying them. But uh, it, it's fun to do that. <clears throat> it's fun to interact once you get there. Obviously, it gives you a reason to go. Not that you don't need a reason to go to a card shop, but um, you know that's always a fun part of it. Um, what worries me is we're in that time frame where everything is ridiculous, for lack of a better word. Mm. And everything's got a price and everything's got a price tag and cards are basically wiped off of shelves when it comes to a retail standpoint. Now we have uh, boxes that are going to be shipped for this free product. And this, this does happen to some extent every year where the free product gets shipped out. And then all of a sudden all of this stuff floods and hits secondary market 24 hours at least before they're supposed to be available. So you know what it is. It's either dealers that are just opening up everything and trying to sell it, or it's 
the dealers have already sold the boxes, the case boxes, and someone else is then gone through the process of ripping them open and trying to sell. These are free cards, right? Yeah, the dealers pay for them, but you don't. Unless you're trying to get the Rookie Moments card uh, with your purchase, you really only have to walk in and you know strike up a conversation with your dealer and, hey, it's hockey card day. I see you're a retailer for this. You guys have the packs. And there you go. You got yourself a free pack. But there were so many last year that within a couple hours of, you know, the day starting, depending on what what uh, time zone you were in, they were gone already. Like, and there were even outlets that said they had the product or were on the list of being retailers or for that that didn't have them at all. And there was a lot of that that went on. And I, you know, with how crazy things have gotten over the last year, it makes me feel like it's going to be even crazier. So I'm hoping that a lot of people get to participate. I'm hoping that Upper Deck, I mean, Upper Deck can do one easy thing, and that's flood the market with these. Now, I know that would that would bring down value and all of that, but I don't care. These are free. These are supposed to be free. It's supposed to be fun. It's National Hockey Card Day, right? So... Those flippers, baseball flippers that all of a sudden are like, oh, there's some free cards that know nothing about what they're going to get. Don't save them for the people that want them. Um, because like you said, there's victory black that are hard to hard to find. They might be easier like they were last year. The mascot cards are something to chase. Apparently this year there's autographs. I mean, there there have been rumors that there have been in years past as well. I've never seen any. Never but, seen one either but they've actually advertised that there will be autographs um, that are going to be pretty limited, I'm sure. But so I don't know what the quantities are of any of this or how many they send out, but I mean, somebody could easily do the math. If every store got a case of these and you went down the list for us and Canada and figured out how many stores were on those lists as certified resellers, you could easily figure out a number and come up with how many packs there are. And how many cards there are but if you're going to participate in this all i can say is have fun with it like don't turn this into oh, i gotta find the alexis card or i gotta find the the capri soft card or i gotta find the you know whatever no don't don't go into it like that that's not what this is supposed to be for and, and you know yeah this is me on my soapbox and my public service announcement but I I don't want to see a Lafreniere National Hockey Card Day card pop up on eBay being sold for $100. I just don't because it's silly. It's, it's absolutely silly. So we usually make an event out of it with the kids and take them all and everything. They're getting older now, so I doubt if they'll even want to. But I know my wife and I will be heading to at least a couple shops to, to uh, participate and see what we can come up with. We always try to build the sets every year and um, end up having to do some trades and some swapping here and there. There's a good Facebook group that's been around for years that does uh, um, National Hockey Card Day swaps. Um, lots of people on there be swapping between U.S. and Canada all the time. So that's always fun. So it's just a, it's a nice way to create that trading card atmosphere and that excitement where it's 
shouldn't be about investing or you know trying to make bank off of free promo cards <laughs> no honestly and i mean most of the sets can be had for five to ten dollars each i don't think there's any set that's really a standout um i mean now the victory black rookies are a different story especially going back a couple of years when they were a lot harder to find um it seemed like last year you'd be able to pull all five of them in at least as far as i know from what i've heard from u.s dealers and u.s collectors if you opened a box of 50 packs you would get a um you would be able to get all five of the mascot cards and all five of the victory black rookie cards so you figure that like one in every five packs has either one or the other or one in every 10 packs has whatever that the math is for that i mean you basically get yeah those 10 inserts within 50 packs so one in every five packs is going to have one of those inserts so um well, i think they upped the shipper boxes because from what i was looking at there's 100 packs in a shipper box this year well i know in u.s and canada it used to be the canadian boxes had 100 packs and the u.s boxes had 50 packs so okay. that way that it would be a, a smaller buy-in for the u.s shops because they're less likely to carry a lot of hockey or spend as much on hockey whereas in canada they're going to give away more of the packs. They're going to want more of the packs anyway. So to them, 100 packs is like, you know, it's like if it was a baseball set, 100 packs in the U.S. would make sense, right? But in, so in the U.S., it's only 50 packs. Now, that might have changed. So I don't know. I'm just basing this off of what it was last year. Yeah, um, that's the, I didn't. I don't remember reading that, that there was a distinction between north or south, but it could be. Or that could have been, I, I know last year it was 50 packs in the U.S. And I know a couple of years back I did an article about, uh, actually two two years in a row, I want to say I did an article for Sports Collectors Digest in 2018 and then again in 2019 about National Hockey Card Day. So um, that seemed to be the uh, what I was told, was that the Canadian boxes had 100 packs, the U.S. boxes had 50 packs. Um, I, want, I wonder... How many dealers at the National are going to have a full case for sale? Well, I mean, the National's going to be only a week away from that, not even a week away. Right. Um, That's what I'm, I'm wondering how many of them just don't even bother and just take them and try to make bank off of them. Oh, that definitely happens. And the other thing, too, is that a lot of shops will only give them out for that one day, and then whatever they don't give out, they'll just hang on to, open, build sets or whatever. Um I think like dealers have incentives to open the packs if they don't give them away, because if they pull an autographed card then that's something they could sell for 50 or a hundred dollars, you know, depending on who it is. Sure, a lot of times I, have, it's like, I have no problem with that after the fact, after the fact, I like, agree. If you want to wait, if you want to wait till the next day, fine. If you want to wait till the end of the week, great. But like the fact that this stuff is already hitting the night before or even two nights before no, that's come on. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, the first year there was National Hockey Card Day and I went to like five different shops and one shop was closed. I called all the shops ahead of time, said, are you participating in this? They said, yes. We go to one one particular shop. They were locked up. They were closed. Even though the sign said that they were open, they were not open. Um, I ended up going there the next day and they were open. And they were selling the set for like $10. And I said to the guy, well, what the heck? I came here yesterday and you weren't open. He's like, we weren't? He's like, well, my partner works works on Saturdays and he didn't open the store. I said, no. I said, 
He didn't open the store. I called ahead and asked if you guys were going to participate in this. You said yes. Then I show up. You're closed. I say, then I show up the next day, and now you're selling the set for $10. That's kind of crummy. And he just kind of shrugged, opened the case, and handed me a full set. And I was just like, all right, well, thank you. But, like, you You know. You carried him out of a set. Huh? You carried him out of a set. I I, This was was before being a Karen was a thing. (laughs) I think my, uh, I would have settled for a pack. I think my argument was valid, though. Like. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. That's the whole point of this. What card shop in its right mind is closed on a Saturday? They closed on a Saturday so they could open all their packs and make sets out of them. To try that to sell seems the next like day. what it was because when I came back, they were closed Sunday because they were always closed on Sunday. And when I came back on like, I came back on like a Monday and then it's like, it's like, oh, now, now you're selling them. You went from being closed and not giving them away to selling them. But like I said, that particular dealer, um, and I don't even know if their shop is still around anymore because this was, you know, almost 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, he, he gave me a set. So that was, that was nice. Now I want to talk about 2021 upper deck extended series because well, we talk about it almost every show, cause we've been so excited about it. It's out now. I still don't have any of it. I'm a little upset that I don't have any, but I'll find it. I was a little, I felt a little left out when series one came out. I remember everybody opening series one and posting their breaks on Twitter and I'm like, I feel so left out. And then I just found a ton of retail packs or a retail um, blasters and mega boxes and whatnot at my local Target. And in Series 2, I got a bunch of um, tins, the retail tins from Target.com and then uh, a couple of blasters and like a mega box and en- enough of that. And I bought some on EPAC. So like I- I've got enough of those but I always at the beginning, I'm like, oh, I'm not getting series two. I'm the only one who doesn't have any series two. And then I get a whole mess of series two. And then I feel good about that. So right now I'm at that state, like, got to get extended series, got to get extended series. But then I know I'm going to find some and I'm going to buy it. Um, I'm interested in this set uh, more so, believe it or not, because it just makes Upper Deck the biggest set now. I mean, an even bigger set with a total of like 730 cards because you're adding another 200 base cards another 30 young guns and um but then there's a whole mess of inserts which we've talked about the 0506 tribute cards holographics ovation rookie class spx finite um, ultimate victory ud3 uh prospect uh what is that a pros and prospects or triple dimensions uh reflections so there's like a lot of different like 90s era inserts which are exciting to me because I collected hockey cards a lot in the 90s, but these are all like late 90s inserts or late based on late 90s sets. And I actually wasn't collecting at that time, but I kind of wish I was. So I feel I, I could feel nostalgic about um, holographics, even though that's a set that I bought after the fact and not uh, not during um, its release. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly understand that. And uh, you know this this came out on the on the eighth. I've seen a bunch of people um, busting all over social media. Most places it's 149 bucks for a hobby box, which that's pretty much where series one and series two both were when they first came out. Um, so that's not really any different. Um, we've talked on here numerous times. As much as this is about adding those extra players for those of us that set collect, 
this is more about those inserts and everything that come out. So that $149, I think, carries the price tag based off of the hit potential that's in there with all of those inserts and rookies that are included in all of the different uh, retro designs that are that are part of that. Now, I will say this. I have seen it higher than 149 I have not seen it lower yet. Obviously, it's still new because it's only been out for a few days as of this recording. So um, from what I can tell, for the most part, everything looks outstanding uh, as far as design quality. Uh, I know we've discussed it before and we had, um, you know, Billy Celio came on the show before and we talked about it kind of ad nauseum pretty much as far as what the designs look like and everything else. So we've, we've kind of, I don't want to rehash all of that, but what, what upper deck release would be complete without everybody bitching and complaining about quality control. This one seems to be focused on the ultimate victory cards. I've seen countless numbers of posts of the foil peeling away on these. Ooh. So I don't know if it maybe just was a bad batch or what, but a lot of the people posting ultimate victory. Now, again, people post bad things. They don't post the good things all the time, or they post the really good things and don't post the mediocre things. Um, but yeah, that, that seems to be what I've seen. I haven't noticed anything else like off centers or, you know, smash corners because of various shipping issues or anything like that but it's the peeling of the foil that was kind of concerning for me um to see that but again those aren't you know those aren't an every pack kind of thing those you know, just maybe one or two in a box so as part of those inserts so but. well i mean i had i had some quality <clears throat> control issues with uh some of the series two packs that i bought the cards were crimped on the top and um they were crimped on the top and crimped like I, the roller press to close the pack exactly so they were so, too yeah. high up in the package exactly yeah so um i uh, contacted upper deck customer service on twitter uh unfortunately this i had to jump through a few extra hoops uh because i had to send back my cards and i also had to like send them like a scan of like the receipt or what, whatever. I forget what it was. I mean, I, I, I documented it because usually I write about this when I um, send in my cards back. But then, you know what they did was like um, they replaced one uh, card with the same card, but it was a yellow bordered parallel numbered to 99. Same player, but a better, uh, a better um, version of the card. So that's fine. Because I think the one that I got was, I, I think it was the base version. And then I think I had a couple, like, um, I can't remember what else I sent out. Again, I'll have to check my notes. But then they sent me this uh, rookie breakouts of uh, Shane Bowers of uh, Colorado. And it's nice. It's a shiny card. And it's definitely better than the cards, card or cards I sent in. So I wasn't like, this isn't the card that I was expecting. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, like, okay, that's different. It, you know, because when you send in base cards, you never expect back the same base cards. I mean, that's just, I I know that some people do. And I know that I remember reading somebody's blog a couple years ago, well, maybe about five years ago. And they talked about sending like 150 damaged OPG cards to Upper Deck because they bought like a case. And like 150 or 200 cards or something in the case were damaged 
maybe I'm exaggerating. It was a lot of cards. It was a lot of cards, and it cost them a lot of money to ship back. And an upper deck just sent them like, like one or two cards that would be considered hits. But the person was like, no, I needed these cards to finish base sets. Like, I needed these specific cards that I sent in because I didn't, you know, the collation was terrible. And, you know, when you have bad collation, you need those certain cards a lot more. So to that person, they were mad that they had to pay money to ship out, you know, to ship back like 100 cards and only get two cards in, in its place. So it's not always, it, you know, it sometimes it's hit or miss with what Upper Deck will send. Uh, as a replacement, um, but I've um, my only complaints. Just is be glad I, they send anything because there's other yes. companies that will just ignore you until you die. So. Oh yeah, or unless you harass them on Twitter, like I had to with Panini to get my autographed card that they promised me in um, was it a box of uh, Panini Limited, I think, and it, it, there was a redemption card, and they never honored the redemption, and I had to like basically hound them on Twitter. And then they finally did something about it. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, extended series. And then the retail version comes out at the end of the month. So that's when I'm going to start looking for my retail packs. And then eventually it'll be out on EPAC. And then that's when I'll get some EPAC packs. But I'm not going to spend 149 on a retail box I, or on a uh, hobby box. I just can't bring myself to do that. Well, I can tell you this. I've, um, well, you, you see that you see the date for retail, right? Mm-hmm. So retail will be out in a few weeks. Um, but do do yourself a favor and uh, peruse eBay closed auctions for extended series, mm-hmm. and you'll get a really good laugh out of it. Um, there was with fifty eight bids. Yesterday, the um, Alexei Lafreniere Young Gun in the update, because there's another one. Yes. Um, sold for $745. And was this a parallel or something, or was this just so an update? This is, this is the update Young Gun, where it has him with his jersey on, with an actual number, and it's in a game, instead of from his photo shoot. Yeah, but I'm going to say this really quick because I've been tracking his Young Gun from Upper Deck Series 1 since it's come out. And I do remember it selling for as high as $600. And I Oh, initially that, because of the hype around it. Yeah. But that hype is long gone and people have seen how those prices have come back down to earth for, albeit a high prospect, but the fact that you can have his Young Gun for... I mean, it's under 125 bucks now. Yes. Uh, sometimes it's under 100. Yes. The fact that everybody has seen how that cycle has worked, and now here's a new set with an additional young gun, $745. This sold for 58 people bid on it. Or I don't, not 58 people, but there were 58 bids, and this closed at 745 freaking dollars and this is just one of those 30 young guns that's in the extended series correct so you know i think i just want to be i don't want to be the first person to own that card i want to be the 50th or 100th person to own that card because that card's going to show up later on down the line i guess somebody's got to be first right and the person who's 
buying it for $745, they're going to get it graded and then they're going to try to flip it for two grand or something ridiculous or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just. The, the thing is, and, and that's one example, that's the extreme example, but there've been plenty of them that have closed out in the $400 range that are in that. And I, I'm baffled by this because from what I can tell, there isn't going to be any limitation on the print run on these any less than there were on series one or series two. Right. So there's going to be just as many of these as there are. There's less of them, but there's going to be just as many as there are of everything else. It's not like they're scarce. They're not serial numbered. These are base cards. I mean, yeah, they're short printed, but they're still base cards. They're part of the numbered set. Mm -hmm. So um you know just as an example the 0506 retro ones that they put in here mm-hmm. i mean i've seen all of those selling for anywhere between 50 to 120 bucks so i mean this the let's put it this way the hype is real over this set and i don't want to say that we helped spur that on but you know talking about as much as we have maybe we did maybe we shot ourselves in our own feet (laughs) yeah we should only hype stuff after i own a complete set with all short prints we're not going to hype things until it's two years old and nobody cares anymore (laughs) right Uh, right yeah so So that's where we're at with extended so um a couple other things i guess uh clear cut was announced uh metal universe was announced and uh sp game used is out on uh, EPAC. Oh, and then they've also announced AHL. You want to talk about any of those? Yeah, I mean, Game Used has been out since April uh, in a physical form, but it, they were just released it on EPAC. So if you're so inclined to open up a digital pack of four cards, which will actually be four cards because they're autographs or memorabilia, but they're $149 on EPAC uh, for one pack, not a box, but a box is one pack. So, yes. I guess we're splitting hairs when it comes to that. So right. that's available on there. Um, <clears throat> Clear Cut was announced. The uh, Upper Deck put out teaser photos for their sell sheets. Uh, looks like one card per pack, and everything in there is supposedly hard auto. Nice. So every card is a hard auto, but there's one card in a pack. Not sure on price on this yet, but you'd have to look at pre-sells to see where things are falling. I imagine it's going to be probably in the 150 plus range for a box considering it's one card and it's auto um that's that's a at that point that is a feast or famine i think mm-hmm. when it comes to what's what's in there because if you pull the check you pull what what's already been known about the checklist and stuff like that there's a lot of potential miss mm. um but, you know, we'll see. A couple of cool things in there. They brought back champs. So that's mm. part of it. Because um, even though it's clear cut, not every card is clear. Um, not every card is acetate. But they brought back champs um, as a design. It looks kind of cool. But I imagine those cards are going to be unattainable for most average everyday collectors. But uh, So that'll be interesting. Not sure when that comes out yet. I don't have a, don't see a date for it. Um, Upper Deck AHL was announced also. 
um, for those that like the minor league cards. Um, the AHL sets are always pretty good that Upper Deck puts out. Um, this will be the only pack-released product in 2021 that actually has a Cole Caulfield card in it. Um, not NHL, so he won't be on the Canadians, but it will be his AHL card. Um, and I say pack pack release because he does have a game dated moments card that came out where he is in a Canadians jersey uh, playing when he scored. Uh, I believe it was for his first goal as a Canadian. But um, yeah, so there'll be a he'll be an actual packed out product, and usually Upper Deck will put AHL available on EPAC as well at, at some point. So that'll be out um, at some some later date and yeah you mentioned metal universe we have a date for metal universe which is oh you i was uh, august 18th august 18th so yeah august 18th for metal universe and that's that's the other set that we've been hyping up and highly anticipating i'm get, i'm getting more now that we have a date now i'm scared <laughs> so I, I'm actually considering pre-ordering. I have I been since January. I mean, yeah. my sister got me a um, gift certificate to um, DA Card World because she asked me, she's like, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want hockey cards. And I'm like, and I also know that hockey cards are f- hard to find at retail. And, you know, I didn't expect her to, like, go to, like, a shop and overpay for, like, a box of Series 1 or Series 2 or whatever, like a, a hobby box. But I said, hey, you know, if you give me a gift card to or gift certificate to DA Card World, um, then I could just get the set of cards that I want when it comes out. And she's like, okay. And then I said, and that way you could just spend what you want to spend. You're not like locked into like a certain amount. And so she got me a gift certificate and I've been checking their site every couple of, you know, first it was checking it every day, then like every week and then. Um, just waiting to see when the pre-sale was going to go up for that so I could use my gift certificate towards a box. Because I imagine it's going to be over 100 a box, or maybe around 100 a box, maybe. So oh, I'm, I'm going to guess it's going to be more than that. Yeah, well, I got a $100 gift certificate burning a hole in my pocket. So I want to, I want to, I've, I've, the two, the two things that I really want to use it on are either ProSet, which DA wasn't carrying last time I checked, or, um, Metal Universe. Because, like, with um, Extended Series, like I said, I'm just going to wait until I can find some hobby, or excuse me, some retail packs and buy those, or some e-pack and buy those. Um, but I'm not going to pay $150 bucks for um, for a hobby box. It's just it's too much for 24 packs. Yeah. It's... Uh, that that's, that's my fear, but I'm, I'm still... In my brain, I'm still all in on it. So, we'll you see know, as we get closer. Another thing I just want to say about Upper Deck AHL, um, this set has not really caught on with me. I've bought AHL uh, last couple of years on and off. Um, I'd buy two or three boxes, try to build the set. Wouldn't not be able to build the set. Even if I bought like three boxes, I wouldn't even get the full base set, non-short printed. But that's my biggest problem with the set. Is that it is um there are short prints. It's a tough build because of the short prints. It's a tough build, and the thing is that it's a tough sell to begin with because all right, let me put it to you this way. Set builders like to build sets. 
but if you have to work very hard to build an AHL set, you're probably not going to do it, right? Right. Hit chasers who don't build sets but go for the short prints, they ain't buying upper deck AHL. They're probably not going to spend their huh? Probably not. I no, mean, look at all the people that complain about oh these cards. I'm not buying these cards. They're unlicensed. They don't have logos. Well, imagine if they do have logos. They're just of teams that you've never heard of. No, but I'm not even saying that. I'm saying, like, if you're somebody who wants to get that $100 card, $200 card in a box of cards, you're not going to. And Upper Deck AHL is kind of like a, a low to mid-end set. It's not because there are autographs in the boxes. Um, but um, that's the thing. It's like it, it's too frustrating. It's like if it was an easy set to put together, I would put it together because I like complete sets and I like minor league hockey cards. So I would put that set together if it wasn't so darn uh, expensive to do so. And people who are going to like break for the hits and flip and stuff like that, they're not going to mess around with this. So it's like, it's a very niche group that would be into this set. And I or feel they like will mess around with it. They'll find out they got burned and then be pissed off. Right. That's what usually happens. Right. So that's why I'm probably, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the that. HL sets. They remind me, they remind me of like, you know, I always liked when in the game did the heroes and prospects when yes. the game was still around. Those were great, but you know, those were kind of a mix. So they had all of the prospect players and the AHL players or other leagues. Um, but then they were mixed in with, you know, legends and, and stuff like that, that played for those things. So the, the AHL sets aren't that upper deck puts out are mostly just the, the minor league players, which I think is cool because you don't see them anywhere else. And there could be guys that are, you know, legends of, you know, that level of hockey that just never get an actual card made. So um, not only that, you get to truly prospect, right? You get right. To, you, you get to pile, you know, get a pile of, of guys that you don't know that they're going to pan out and you never know. Put those away three years from now. One of these guys might be the next big thing. You never know. And that's when it's a lot of fun. I mean, I sure. love going through my uh, the AHL sets that Choice Marketing would put out, like fit the 50-card all-star sets, and then like going back and looking at them years later and being like, wow, Ryan Miller or, um, you know, whoever, you know, P.K. Subban, right? Like guys who spent time in the AHL, and now they're, you know, NHL stars or NHL, uh, well, Miller's retired, I believe, but like uh, – I think he I think he retired after this season. So um, but I mean PK is still around. And you know, these are from different these are almost like a decade apart. But what I'm saying it's just it's cool to have those AHL cards. I mean, I love I mean, even like team issued sets, like of um I, I recently bought some team issued sets, uh, and one of them I bought, and this has been eluding me for a long time, um, was the 8990 Oshawa General set that had the Eric Lindros card. And I've always wanted that set. And I just never, for a while, it was it was cost uh, pro, cost prohibitive because that card was so desirable that that Oshawa set was selling for maybe like $50, $60 at the time, um, maybe in like the early 90s because Lindros was going to be the next big thing. Um, but then I ended up getting that set a couple days ago for less than what it would have cost. I mean, you know, sooner or later, you, you pick up, either you lose interest or you buy it, you know, you buy it when the time is right. Or you just stop caring and don't buy it, or you stop caring and then you come back to it. 
But yeah, I think minor league and junior league cards are a lot of fun. I've spent a lot of money on team issued stuff and like, you know, um, just to have those like pre rookie cards. I think that's what makes collecting so exciting is just getting those little those oddities. Yeah, it's uh, it's some of my favorite sets that I have are my Wilkes-Barre Scranton AHL sets, you know, with, you know, legends like Tom Kostopoulos, you know. Oh, yeah. AHL legends. You know, you get you get guys, you know, like the old, you know, early 2000 sets that have, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury wearing a baby Penguins jersey. I mean, it's awesome. Um, so it's they're cool they're 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 really cool so but they're not for everybody and that's the thing if they're not for you don't bother if you you don't like ahl don't bother with this set because you won't be happy so i'd like to wrap up the podcast by talking about the national sports collectors convention that's coming up at the end of the month in chicago uh, specifically Sub, uh, the, the suburb of Rosemont at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. So that will take place Wednesday, July 28th, all the way into uh, Sunday, August 1st. So this is the 41st National. Uh, the 41st National is supposed to happen last year in Atlantic City, New Jersey. That got canceled because of COVID-19. So the 40th show was in Chicago. And now the 41st show is in Chicago. A um, little bit of no- news about this that's um, newsworthy. A little bit of news that's newsworthy. Because only newsworthy news from the Puck Junk crew, right? Um, none of that non-newsworthy newsiness. That, yeah, if, that's it's not not, if it's not newsworthy, then it's not newsworthy. No. So, so um, they are completely sold out of VIP passes. VIP yep, or, passes. Ev- every one of them. Super Whatever VIP level you passes, are, doesn't matter. Yep. Super ultra mega mega VIP passes that you know include uh, a foot rub and free parking. Those are sold out. Even so, the double secret probation VIP passes, those are out too. Can't talk about those, but yes, no. those are sold out. And then the NSCC released five day non VIP passes. They said, okay, we're out of VIP passes. But we know you want to come for five days, so we'll just issue five-day passes that don't have any VIP privileges. But it just, you know, it saves you from having to buy admission every day or whatever. It maybe saves you a couple of bucks from buying each ticket individually for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, they're sold out of those. So there are going to be a lot of people at this show. Uh, they've been speculating that this is going to be the biggest national since uh, the one in 1990 in Anaheim. Don't know if that's going to be true or not, because uh, I don't know how many tickets are being sold. But you and I have both been to a lot of nationals, and a lot. you usually come on, like, Saturday, which is, like, the busiest day. That mm-hmm. show gets really crowded in Chicago. It's a big space, but it does attract a lot of people. I feel like this show is going to be... Yeah, it's a big space, but they fill it. It's going to be a lot bigger than it was two years ago. I kind of have the same feeling. And, you know, it's people want to get out. They want to get to a show. And what better show to go to than the National? I mean, it's the biggest show of the year in the United States. And, yeah, there are other big regional shows, but this is the one that draws people in. Well, it's people excited and gets hyped up and it, you know, 
vendors come to this and manufacturers come to this and the big dealers come to this and i mean you don't find an autograph guest list like this anywhere else and you know there's it's an event so you know if you get a chance to go to a national if you never have do it i don't care where it's held at because the whole pomp and circumstance surrounding it is is great every single year um, this year it's going to be interesting because I'm I'm like that I'm sitting on the fence going I'm going it's just when do I jump off you know do I just go and just try to enjoy myself do I go worrying about there's going to be 80 billion people jammed into this event center should I wear a mask should I not wear a mask should I wear a full body suit should I, you know, douse myself in disinfectant? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I will say that um, according to the NSCC, there are no COVID restrictions, no masks are required, nor is any proof of vaccination required. So if you want to douse yourself with um, um, antibacterial uh, wipes before you uh, come to the show, by all means, have at it. But you're not required to. Um Right, and I, I completely understand that, and it's it's a complete matter of choice for people. Um, I will say that you, I, I'm still going. I'm still planning on going, and that I, I haven't been anywhere where there's been that many people yet. And this is going to be bigger because of the renewed interest in sports card collecting over the past year. So now you're getting a lot of these casual collectors – or I don't want to say casual, let's say newly reacquainted collectors who are like, oh man, I haven't done this in 30 years and this is awesome. And oh my God, there's a big card show in Chicago next month and I got my vaccine and I just rediscovered my 1989 uh, upper deck baseball cards and my 1990 pro set hockey cards. And now I want to go to a show. And and so that's, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I remember buying VIP passes or buying a VIP pass to the national um, two nights before it started. So, I mean, a couple, you know, maybe three years ago, five years ago, whatever, one of the ones in Chicago in the mid 2010s, I was still able to get VIP passes pretty close to the start of the show. They were, they would never sell out of any of that. And now they've sold out of everything uh, and then some, so this is going to be ridiculous, and uh, I'm excited about it. And have you have you run into any of the people trying to flip regular general admission tickets online? Because I no. found them. <laughs> no, and actually the national is uh, they they put out a statement saying that they're against that, which is funny because that kind of goes against the whole spirit of like card collecting, right? Because isn't the idea that you buy uh, a Mickey Mantle card for five cents and sell it for a million dollars, or am I missing something? I mean, I you can that's... be against it all you want, just like sports teams are against scalping, but it's no different. It's the same exact thing. What Unless... kills me, though, is if you walk up to a sporting event and try to buy tickets at the gate, chances are there's no tickets left. So your right. only option is to go to that scalper. This isn't the case. You can buy a ticket. You can buy a ticket right now. If you want to go on Wednesday, you can buy a ticket. If you want to go on Friday, you can buy a ticket. If you want to go at 3 p.m. on Sunday, you can buy a ticket because they're still available for general admission. So, I mean, 
it is what it is. I understand that that's that's just everybody's going to try to make a buck somewhere. But, you know, $19, you can buy a ticket in advance. 22 at the door. Pretty sure you're not going to get turned away if you show up there without a ticket. They're going to let you in. You can buy one. Don't buy it from a scalper. <laughs> just, so, just don't. So um, there's a lot of autograph guests, but so far they've only announced three former hockey players signing at the National. Bobby Hall, Brett Hall, and Chris Chelios, and in a plethora of baseball and football players, as well as a good number of basketball players, but only three hockey players. Um, I, uh, I'm a little disappointed that there aren't more hockey players, but the national tends to usually not have so many hockey to begin with. I mean, usually like five to 10, maybe not as many as 10, but usually like around five seems to be kind of like the magic number, five or six. Uh, definitely like, you know, more than the tennis players, more than the boxers, more than maybe the other sports, um, not counting wrestling, which isn't a sport, so it doesn't count anyways. But um, it's entertainment. Okay. So, um, I'm, I mean, these are all great players. Don't get me wrong. Chris Chelios is my favorite player. Bobby Hull is awesome. Brett Hull is awesome. Um, but I, I kind of wish there were a few more hockey players signing but you know it is what it is i mean especially with the um the border being closed uh i mean between the u.s and canada uh and i mean it's it is eventually going to start reopening um especially if you're vaccinated and you don't have to quarantine for two weeks then but um you know when they were arranging these guests they were kind of limited they couldn't bring in anybody from canada because nobody would have been willing to do the quarantining even though that could you know that's that can always change but uh yeah it's it's been a difficult time i guess it's still good that they got some hockey guys yeah i i'm like you i expected to see more than that on the list but i think you're right i think that that kind of having the border closed kind of put a put a damper on that whole thing and uh, the last thing I want to say before we wrap it up is that Puck Junk will officially have a presence at the National. Um, I will be... We'll have presents? Like presents. we can open? Yes. Uh, no, these are the unwrapped oh. kind. They've already oh. been opened and they'll have tags, price tags on them. So they're oh. not really presents. No, okay. I will be at the National. I'm going to be sharing some booth space with AU Sports, which is a... Uh, sports card show in Mort or a sports card shop in Morton Grove, Illinois. I've known the owners for years. Um, they're letting me uh, have some space at their booth, their booth number 1009. They're right around the corner from memory lane. Like when you walk in, you go a little bit to the right, there's memory lane right there. You go right around the corner, there's AU Sports. I'm going to be sharing some space with them. So I will be there selling uh, Puck Junk t-shirts. I'm going to be selling off some sets that I want to get rid of and I want to um uh you know move on because move out because I need the space and then um I uh, will be selling some single cards as well not sure exactly what yet because I have to dig those out but I'm uh, going to be focusing on my puck junk t-shirts um at the show which I'll have them all there in various sizes but also I'm going to just be there just to talk to people and just to hang out which has always been my favorite part of the show. I mean, I, yes, I've bought a lot of cards at past nationals, but I've also made a lot of friendships, talked to a lot of friends, a lot of people, um, 
And I think that's what's going to be fun about this is that I'll be staying in one place and hopefully people will come to me and talk to me instead of me just walking around and randomly hoping to run into somebody. So yay, I'm even more excited this year than I have been in years past for that very reason. Booth number 1009, as far yep. as I know. That's always the, that's, I agree. That's always the best part is the interaction with the other collectors and the people that you may not see very often. I mean, I, we go to the, the Chicago show just cause it's kind of in the backyard kind of thing. So that's every two years. So, you know, various hobby personalities, you'll see the people you interact with on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and other social media now um that used to be just the guys that you would see once every time there was a show that's always fun you know meet and catch up i kind of miss the times when we were always meet up at the show with a bunch of different people and everybody would have cards for each other we just oh that like, was give each other stacks or boxes or you know sometimes one card sometimes 300 it did it just whatever those were that was always fun that was fun. Like Tim and I would get together and then uh, Justin Godfrey, who writes for Raw Charge, uh, he used to live in uh, Chicago. And then uh, we there was another guy named Nick who would meet up with us. And like the four of us would just get together and we would just give each other. It was it was we'd give each other cards. I can't even call it trading because it wasn't a one for one kind of thing. It was just like, here's a bunch of cards you need. Bam. Here's a bunch of cards you need. Boom. Here's a bunch of cards you want. Wham. You know, it was just you know, with the Batman sound effects included, right? I mean, it was just like hitting each other over the head with kindness. I mean, there were times when you've given me like an 800 count box of cards and I'm like, Tim, man, I can't take this. And you're like, dude, please, they're all like extra OPG cards I don't want. Please take them, you know? <laughs> or I'd give you five cards that you needed, but they'd be like five good cards, you know, that had been um, eluding you or even like cards, um, uh, that you didn't even know really existed. Like when I gave you those uh, those Penguins Puck Bucks, I don't know if you knew that they existed or not, but they weren't really something that was like, you know, in your kind of everyday kind of want list. No, because there are things that you don't see every day. Right. They're, they're not things that people actively seek out and, you know, ha have readily available that you can buy outside of the, the greater Pittsburgh area because, you know, that's where you got them from. But, well, it's uh, always fun when you can, like, say, hey, you know, my friend who likes this team will like these cards or whatever, you know. And and so, that yeah, that's that's exciting and awesome. So I'm yeah. So if you're going to the show just to buy stuff, you're missing out because that's that's really the interaction part of it is, is some of the best. And, it, and if you're on social media and you've made friends on there and you, you, you know there's people going to the show that you're also going to, find a minute. Just say, hey, you know, you're going to be there on a Friday? Okay. You know, two two thirty in the afternoon, we're all going to meet by the whatever booth. And, you know. By the puck junk booth, of course. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. Just, and go meet up and, you know, talk shop and maybe trade cards or do something, you know, because it's, it's fun. You know, you may never get that opportunity again, especially if you're coming in from outside. Um, but, uh yeah, so I, I know I'll be there. I'll be there Saturday for sure. We've actually been talking about going potentially on Sunday as well. Um, I will tell you this: we did. We were going to make like a weekend out of it and mm -hmm. get a get a hotel room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that ain't happening. Mm. We, we checked every hotel first within walking distance of the convention center, and then we checked everything that was 
three to four miles away because mm-hmm. it is up by the airport. So there's a lot of hotels around there. Everything is booked. So if that's any indication that all VIP tickets are sold out and pretty much every hotel is booked, it's going to be busy. Well, it will definitely be exciting. So anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up and call it a show? The only thing that I do want to add that we didn't really talk about beforehand that I'm going to blindside you with probably. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Just wanted to point out a big congratulations to my uh, mentor and hero and journalistic idol, Pierre Maguire, on his new job working for the Ottawa Senators. So I thought I would throw that out there and give him the credit that he is due. And also rejoice in the fact that he will no longer be on TV broadcasting and telling me every fine player from Penticton that's ever lived. So, yeah, just well, thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> kind of puts him out of the public eye now, and I think that's what most hockey fans wanted. So, Yeah, Pierre's not a bad guy. He's just, he gets on people's nerves because of just how he is. He's so smart. He knows so much. That's just the thing. It'll be interesting, though, because with the, with today's NHL and the focus on analytics and stuff, I mean, he's been outspoken about his disdain for advanced analytics and things like that. And now he's in charge of being able to rate players and, you know, figure out where players are at within their development in the system. So kind of important to grasp and, and embrace the those advanced analytics so it'll be interesting to see it's not the early 1990s anymore right for pierre so uh it'll be interesting to see how he fares well i don't think they're gonna hire him just to fire him because they could have hired anybody for that job so they must have had a greater purpose in mind for him or or really thought that he was right for the job so i mean again like i said i don't begrudge the guy he does rub people the wrong way he does get annoying at times, but he's all he also knows a lot about hockey. Right. I just don't really need to know where Sidney Crosby played hockey when he was in third grade. Although if I was writing a report about that, I would totally want to know about that. So, I mean, one thing that like Doc Emmerich would talk about is that he would make his note sheets. He'd find notes about every player that was playing on both teams before he would call a game. And he would say that he doesn't use 80% of the notes that he took. It would just be like if the camera happened to stop on a certain player or something during a stoppage of play, he'd have something to say about that player because he was planning for everything, but he was only using a very little bit of his notes. I feel like McGuire is the opposite where he'd want to tell you everything, right? Like he'd want to tell you everything, whereas Emmerich would just tell you if it came up. Like if it came up in conversation, he would talk about it, but he wouldn't find a way to kind of shoehorn in something, whereas McGuire would always kind of shoehorn in something that we didn't necessarily care about. So, Well, it always came off as, I know more than you, and here I'm going to prove it. I think that's what bothers people. Unlike our show, where we know nothing about anything, and we just pretend. We prove it every week. We prove that we're pretending every week. Yes. So, okay. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on YouTube. We are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. We're, like, all over the place on social media. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG on Twitter. And until next time, collect what you like. 
more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.